For those of you that may not know, I am Pastor Nathan, and this morning we are going to be talking about how to identify a counterfeit Christian. Dun, 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 right? Um, I, I mentioned this a couple studies ago, but you know, professionals who are skilled at identifying counterfeit money, um, I was doing some research on that, and I found that, that some of them, a lot of them, they use a four-step process to determine the real money from the fake money. And the process is touch, tilt, look at, look through. And, and so the touch concept is because money is printed on special paper that, that you touch it, right? Because real money feels a certain way, counterfeit money feels different. And so you can generally tell that it feels off. The tilt process is that in modern money, there's all these holographic strips that are inside the money. So if you tilt it a certain way, the light will hit it and colors will refract. The look through part of the process is you'll hold the money up to the light and, and you'll see through the money like different type of colored fibers and watermarks and things that could be seen. And then the look at is just to look at the money, look at the fine printing, right? There's all these you know, designs and patterns and, and, and little tiny words and phrases that are sometimes put on the money. And so to develop the skill at identifying counterfeit money from real money, um, to be able to see when these features and these characteristics are wrong, the, the experts spend time with the real thing. That's what they do. They spend time with the real thing, touching real money, looking at real money, holding it up to the light. They become experts in what the real thing looks like so that they can be um, uh, able and almost, you know, the, the real pros can, can almost instantly identify when they're presented with counterfeit money. Well, from John the Apostle's time until now, the world has been presenting us many different counterfeits for who Jesus is. Many different counterfeits to Christianity and what living for God looks like. As John has mentioned in his letter already, he called the people who present these counterfeit thoughts about Jesus is and these counterfeit gospels, he called them antichrists, peddlers of lies, people and philosophies that stand in opposition to the truth of who Jesus is. Lies about who he is, lies about what his message was, lies about what fellowship with God looks like, lies about who we are in Christ, and lies about what is acceptable and not acceptable behavior and how a child of God lives their lives. And if you remember, John was writing to combat this group called Gnostics. Gnostics were these false teachers that were, in, that were infiltrating the church at that time. And, and, and these were just false teachers who were spiritual know-it-alls, who thought they had all the answers, who themselves were living very sinful lives. And their false teaching that they were trying to introduce to the church was that, you know, humankind, we're, we're comprised of, of two parts. There's the body and there's the spirit. And, and, and they're so separate that one does not affect the other. And so because salvation is spiritual, because your spirit is what gets saved, that your spirit can be saved and it doesn't really matter what the body does. Because the body is inherently evil, it's gonna burn, it can't be saved, it doesn't matter what the body does. And so you could do whatever you wanted to do with your physical body. You can go out and sin, do drugs, sleep around, do whatever you wanted, and it simply didn't matter because your body's gonna perish anyways, your soul is what's saved. And so these were the lies that they were peddling, and one of the big ones was like, you can be a Christian. 
You can be a genuinely saved Christian and nothing your body does has anything to do with that status. Has nothing to do with the relationship that you have with God. Well, John is writing this letter to combat all of that thinking because it's nonsense. He wants to make sure that we're not deceived, make sure we're not led away into following false gospels and a false salvation. Now, John himself, he had walked with the Lord for a long time at this point. And so he himself was an expert in identifying truth from error, an expert in identifying the real from the counterfeit, especially when it came to spiritual matters. He was an expert in, in, in identifying real teaching from counterfeit teaching the truth of the real gospel message from the false gospel message, real fellowship from counterfeit fellowship, and real Christians from counterfeit Christians. But some of the younger Christians, those he refers to in this letter as little children, dear friends, some of them weren't able to or were having difficulty in spotting the difference between the real and the counterfeit with these things. And so John wanted to help them and wants to help us too be able to tell the truth from the error so that we're not led astray. Now it's interesting to me is considering what what pros do in, in identifying counterfeit money, the whole touch, tilt, look at, look through process. You look back through John's letter and he opened with this. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, What we have seen with the eyes, looked at. What we have observed, looked through. What we have touched with our hands, we declare to you, to refute the lies that were being told about who Jesus is. Then he said, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, to refute the lies about what Jesus' message was, about who he was, about us, our need, and how to find salvation. John then says, if we say we have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we are lying to refute the lies that we're being told about what healthy fellowship with God looks like. Then later on, he says, we are children of God now to refute the lies about who we are in Christ. And then he said, the one who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure to refute the lies being taught in the church at that time about what is acceptable behavior now for a genuinely saved child of God. So verses four through 10, that's what we're gonna be looking at this morning after we spend time in worship. He expands on these thoughts and he writes some really hard-hitting things, things that have caused confusion for readers over the years, Bible students, as they look at these things. um, There have been been confusion uh, raised up because of some apparent, and we'll deal with them, contradictions. But really what is raised here is great, significant challenges for those that the Bible would call carnal, carnal Christians. But there's also some very important questions answered in these verses we're looking at this morning. Questions like, does a Christian sin? Can a Christian sin? Should a Christian sin? How much can a Christian sin and still be a Christian, right? Or the bigger question that people ask is, what's the difference between a Christian, a genuinely saved believer who sins, and the unsaved sinner who professes to be a Christian but is not. That's what John deals with in these verses we're looking at this morning. But first, we're going to praise God. We're going to worship him because uh, he is worthy. He is just, he's everything. He's our father. He's our savior. He's the one that's changed our lives. And so we want to start today to just proclaim his name and to glorify him in praise and in worship. So join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, so much for who you are. 
We thank you, God, that we are your children. We thank you, God, that you have adopted us into your family. We thank you, God, that it was through faith, our faith in what you did on the cross, Lord, that you did the work, you paid the price, you paid our fine, you died, you were resurrected, you were raised from the dead. Lord, and when we put faith in all of that, Lord, who you are and what you did, you tell us that we are saved. We're so grateful, God. We love you so much. But Lord, there is a call in our lives to live for you, to choose to live for you. God, as we are still here on this earth with a new nature and our old nature coexisting together, God, that there's a great challenge for us today to choose you, to choose obedience, to choose to walk in the light, Lord. And God, yet we know there are some in this world today who, who profess a counterfeit Jesus, who present a counterfeit Christianity, and they lead others astray into a false salvation and a false gospel. And Lord, I pray today we would see the difference. That God, we would be able to not only identify those who are presenting false truths, but Lord, if need be in our own lives as we self-evaluate, that we would see, Lord, if we're truly following you and truly saved, or God, if we're just playing the counterfeit. So Lord, speak to us this morning, be glorified, especially now as we praise your name. We love you so much, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. All right, today we are in 1 John chapter 3, looking at verses 4 through 10, and so if you've uh, opened your Bibles or your app there, uh, read along with me. John says, everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. Now, I'm sure you noticed a few things in those verses that made you go, what? What? <laughs> He, he said, what? That doesn't seem to jive with other things I've learned before. But what John is doing here is after giving us the warning in chapter two about antichrists, these, these antichrists, these false teachers who are peddling counterfeit versions of Jesus and counterfeit gospels, he is then establishing, or then he went on to establish who we are in Christ, that we are God's children, that, that we who remain in him is the phrase he's been using. Um, we who remain in the true Jesus as revealed by God's word are indeed children of God. And then he went on to educate his, his readers about how to purify themselves. And that's what he expands into in these verses. To educate his readers that based upon all of these truths and all these realities we've been learning in chapter one and chapter two, now he's gonna be getting into um, the difference between what a true child of God looks like in their manner of living and a counterfeit one. 
Now, as I said, these verses have led to some confusion over the years and difficulty for people because, um, you know, well, mainly the confusion comes from verses 9 and verses 6 here, right? Verse 9 of 1 John 3, it says, everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. And then verse 9, he says, everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him he is not able to sin because he had been born of God. I don't know about you, but reading those verses just on their surface seems to uh, be saying stuff very contrary to my personal experience living as a Christian in this world today. Um, and it sounds contrary because, again, back in verse, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, he said, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. In 1 John 1.10, he said, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. So how do these two sections work together? How does 1 John 3, 6, and 9 work with 1 John 1, verses 8 and 10, when they seem to imply in chapter 3 that, that a genuine Christian does not sin? That someone who is truly saved cannot sin, how does that work together when you and I that are believers know that's not true? We know that's not true because we know we have stumbled and we know we have sinned. Well, it's grammar and context that provide the interpretive key to solving the problem in these verses. The overarching concept here, um, something that is vitally important to John is, is our attitude towards sin as Christians our attitude towards sin. This is, this is what is so important to John because remember the false teachers, these Gnostics that were coming into the church, they were indifferent to sin. They were basically saying, sin's no big deal. It doesn't matter if you sin, right? Because your body can't be saved anyways and your spirit is separate. So who cares what you do in your body? Sin is no big deal. And therefore, these false teachers made no effort themselves to stop engaging in sinful activity. They made no effort to then try and be obedient to the word of God because who cares, right? They made no effort to purify themselves. And John is getting at here in this section, look, look, genuine, true Christians, children of God, we should never be indifferent towards sin. We should never be comfortable engaging in sin. And then really, he's going to go on to say, nor can they be comfortable engaging in sin. And then what he sets up is those that are comfortable engaging in sin, those that don't think it's wrong in any way to, to do what God says not to do, if they profess to be Christians, they're not. That's what John is teaching in these verses. So look at verse 4. We'll start at the top. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now notice the, the, the words there, commits and practices. This is the foundation of, of understanding how these verses jive with what we read in chapter one. Both of the verbs there in the Greek that are rendered commits and practices are rendered in what's called the present tense. So the present tense means that when he says everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, it's referring to an ongoing, present, current continuous action. That's what he's referring to there, okay? 
So when he says commits and practices, interestingly enough, the, these, these two words are rendered from the same root Greek verb. The Greek verb is pueo, right? It's, it's a word that means to do something or to make something. But from that root word, we get commits and we get practices. So what's the difference? Well, commits, the variation of the root word there means to continue or to keep on doing something. And that's why it's rendered commits in the English. So essentially what he's saying there is everyone who keeps on sinning. And then when he says practices, that's another variation of this Greek verb that means to be characterized by doing something. Or to say, everyone who keeps on sinning is a person who is characterized by, known for, defined by lawlessness. So of course the word sin there is simply the concept of behaving contrary to the will of God. That's, that's essentially a, a very simplified version of sin, but the difference between the word sin and lawlessness is lawlessness simply means to behave with a complete disregard for any rules or regulations. Sin is to, to, to behave contrary to the will of God. Lawlessness is just completely disregarding any rules or regulations of any kind. So he goes, everyone who keeps on sinning is characterized by, is known by, is defined for, their reputation is, however you want to say that, is known as a person who is defined by lawlessness. And then he goes, sin is lawlessness. That's one of the best definitions of sin in the entire scripture. Sin is lawlessness. To put those two things together, lawlessness is a willful rejection, a willful disregard, and an active disobedience to the will of God. That's what this lawlessness is that he's talking about. So, so anytime we choose to do what is contrary to God's will for us, anytime we choose to do what is, what is against God's will for our living, anytime we make that decision, if your will, your own will, directly opposes the will of God, that is sin. That is lawlessness. So lawlessness is not just accepting a law and then breaking it. Lawlessness is the idea of ignoring any parameters of it. Lawlessness is, is living as if there is no law. It's, it's the thought of, of, of anarchy, right? I can do whatever I want. Sound familiar? Nobody can tell me what to do. There are no definitions of what is an acceptable lifestyle and not. Sound familiar? It's our world today. Lawlessness. So John is saying the person who keeps on behaving contrary to the will of God. The idea is habitually. The idea is, is that's who they are. That's what they're known as, is defined by. The person who keeps on behaving contrary to the will of God is a person that is characterized, known for, or recognized as one who just completely disregards God's law. God's rules, God's regulations, God's will. They live as if God's will doesn't exist. And so it's a person that doesn't want to obey God's will. They have no intention of obeying God's will. They have no desire to obey God's will. And we're not just talking about what a person says, we're talking about what's in a person's heart that's evidenced by their actions. You guys starting to develop the thread here, right? 
Anybody could say, I'm a Christian. But what's in their heart? How do they live? Now, we dealt with in chapter two the flip side of this coin, right? I'm a Christian and I sinned. He said, if you keep my commands, you know I'm in him, right? I, I know I'm saved. I know I'm in Christ if I keep his commands. We talked about that. It doesn't mean keep without error, perfectly, without ever messing up. It means that if your heart's desire, your intention, the inclination of your life is, I want to obey God, I want to glorify him, I want to do that. Sometimes I stumble and fall, sometimes I choose to do the stupid thing, but overall the trajectory of my life is to love him, then you can know you're saved. But if you say, I'm a Christian, and you don't have that at all, you're a liar, you're not saved. This is what John is developing here a habit, a practice of disregarding or ignoring God's will in our living is not something that can exist in someone who's been born again. It can't exist in the person who has been given a brand new nature by God, which is the very likeness of God himself we talked about in our last study. And the reason is because our new nature, the likeness of God himself that, that has been granted to us in being saved and being adopted into his family. That likeness is completely contrary to the nature of someone who says, I have no intent to follow God's law. I have no desire to follow. I don't even want to honor God in my life. They're, they're two different things. A born-again Christian with this new nature has a nature that wants to honor God. That nature uh, dwells within them. It resides within us. We, we, we have a, a, a desire and ability to want to follow God's law. But if you're devoid of that, you can say you're a Christian all you want. You can carry a Bible. You can come to Bible study. But none of that matters if, if, if that nature you have, there's nothing in you that wants anything to do with following God or obeying God's will. Verse five, he goes on to kind of build on this idea. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins and there's no sin in him. Like Jesus was revealed to the world. He came and presented himself to the world and offered himself as a sacrifice and all of that to take away sin. That word take away means to destroy it to remove it, to do away with it. And so person, a person who bears the likeness of God through regeneration cannot be characterized by regular, willful, continuous disregard for God's will. They just, they don't work together. God's will was to destroy the presence of sin, to destroy the power of sin, to destroy the control of sin in our lives. And so to be a person who willfully pursues and engages in that which Christ came to destroy habitually, continuously demonstrates a radical disconnect from God. And so verse six, he says, everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. And now we get to the difficult verse, right? But this is John circling back. One cannot claim to be in close fellowship with God. One cannot claim to be remaining in him. One cannot claim to have um, a new nature. One cannot claim to know Jesus, gnosko, right? To know him experientially and to not have a life that is then characterized or known to have the practice of desiring and pursuing to obey Jesus. 
Desiring and pursuing righteousness, and, and that's just right living according to God's standard. To, 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 to be known for desiring and pursuing love of the brethren, as John has been talking about. To be known for desiring and pursuing the honor and glory of God's name with their life. It doesn't mean that you don't mess up from time to time. But if the people who know you and your reputation is generally like, no, this person loves God and they want, you can know that you're saved in that. But the flip side, if you have that not at all in your life, doesn't matter. When he says everyone who remains in him does not sin, the verb tense there goes right back to verse four. It should read, or it reads better, everyone who remains in him does not keep continuing to sin. And the idea of there that keep continuing is is just an habitual, willful disregard for God's will for how to live and what we should be. When he says everyone who sins, again, the verb tense there is the same thing. Everyone who continues in habitual sin has not seen him nor known him. I mean, John's being pretty cut and dry here Uh, on really who is and who isn't genuinely saved. Now, these verses, incidentally, um, I don't believe that they lay the foundation for anyone to have the ministry of rebuke, right? Sometimes Christians go, I have the ministry of, my, it, of rebuke. My job is to go on and go, you're not saved. You're not saved. You're not saved. I got the, right here, you're not. These verses are for us to reflect internally about our own lives. These verses are for us to look inside and go, am, am I, who am I? Because there are false teachers out there in the world that are saying false gospels to people and people are going, yeah, that guy, you know what, I'm saved, I have the hope of heaven, but they're following a false teaching, a false teacher, an antichrist, a false gospel, and thus they have a false salvation, and they are just like, oh no, I'm good to go. And these verses, I believe, are meant to be presented to people and for people to read them to go, wait a second. I know my life, I know how I live. Am I really genuinely a child of God? And John's making it pretty clear. I believe he's making it pretty clear. John has already affirmed the possibility that a Christian can sin. He's already affirmed the possibility that a Christian could could stumble, um, do something that's disobedient, and still be a true child of God, still be truly saved. And and, and that's not what he's referring to here. John's not referring to here in these verses the, the, the occasional specific act of sin. He's referring to rather a habit, a lifestyle of sin that has no regard for God's will. The habit, the lifestyle, the practice of sin indicates that someone hasn't seen Jesus nor known Jesus. And that simply means that they're not saved. Regardless of what they might verbalize. And to think otherwise is to propagate a counterfeit Christianity. So, verse 7 is where John starts to get into how the, 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 the likeness that we bear, how that evidences um, whether we're saved or not. The, the, the likeness that we bear, which is seen in our habit of living, what that says about who we are and our status before, um, before God. So, verse 7, he says, little children... Let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Again, in the church, in the early church, there were some being led astray and deceived by the false teachings that were going on. 
the notion that one can be born again and still habitually practice a sinful lifestyle um, without any regard to, I should stop doing this. And John here tenderly, pastorally refutes this. Look, little children, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous. And that word does there, it's the same Greek verb that is rendered commits earlier in verse four, right? To keep on doing something. So the one who keeps on doing what is right is the one who's committing righteousness, whose habit, whose lifestyle is characterized by righteousness. He goes, that person is righteous just as he is righteous. And it's important for us to understand the directional flow of this. One commentator put it this way. We do not attach ourselves to Christ by our own righteous acts. But because we are attached to Christ, we are able to perform righteous acts. We do not make ourselves God's children because we are good, but rather being the children of God, we are then able to live as children of God doing good. Do you guys understand the difference? If you have within you the desire to do right, to live righteously, and it's God's righteous standard that we're talking about here, that's evidence that you know him. If you lack that, it's evidence that you don't. Imagine a a professional football player, if you will. All pro, master of his position, right? They are what they are and they do what they do, you know, and, they, and, and this, this, this master of their position, this pro football player, you know, they, 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 they understand what their responsibilities are. They understand how to carry out their responsibilities, how to hit their assignments, and normally their habit. Normally, under most instances, they, they intend to carry out those responsibilities as they should, and they carry out the assignments that they're called, and they're to run the play as it's given to them, but occasionally, they miss an assignment, Right? Occasionally, they miss a block. Occasionally, they they miss a tackle. But it's not the norm for him to miss the tackle and to miss the block. It's the exception. This is how it is for the Christian life. The genuinely saved Christian. Sin is the exception, not the rule. Sin is the occasional miss, but not the habit. Sin is not the norm. But if sin is the rule rather than the exception in your life, John is saying you have not been born of God. You are not saved. And the reason he gets into verse eight is because the source of habitual sin, the very source of that, this this source of continuous disregard for God's will, God's way, is Satan himself. He says in verse eight, the one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Again, the word here, commits, it's the habit of, it's to keep on doing um, something without regard to the rules and the regulations, right? It encompasses all this thought. And so when he says, the one who commits sin, who has the habit of, who has the, 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 the regular routine of, is known for doing the sinful things against God's will, is of the devil. And when it says of the devil, that phrase means belongs to or is begotten from. Interesting, right? Because we've been talking about being born of God, and now he's talking about those who live a certain way, it's evidence that they are born or begotten of the devil. Jesus said the same thing about behavior evidencing whom we're begotten of in John chapter eight, verse 44. This is what he said. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning 
and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. You are of your father the devil. What is the devil characterized by here? Well, he says murder. Jesus talked about that, right? If you hate your brother, you've murdered him in your heart. At the end of this section, he goes, especially those who don't love their brothers and sisters, right? He's characterized by lies. What does he say there? He, he, when he tells a lie, he's speaking from his own nature. Why? Because he's a liar. Liars lie. And then he goes on to say that, that it's the devil's habit, it's his lifestyle, it's his nature, because it says he's been this way from the beginning. It's who he is. His disregard for God's will, his ignoring of God's will, his like, I'm gonna do my own thing anyways, right? That was the big sin. I wanna be exalted. I wanna sit on the throne of the Most High. You know, no, you're an angel, dude. Like, you have a very exalted position in heaven, right? I've heard it said that he was the worship leader, right? Because he was just instruments coming out of him and stuff, right? I mean, he just had this wonderfully just honored position in heaven. Nope, I'm not gonna stay where God wants me. I'm not gonna do what God wants me to do. I'm gonna exalt myself. Well, how'd that go? As he fell from heaven, right? Verse eight, he goes on to say, the son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. To destroy the devil's works. And so Jesus came on the scene to destroy everything the devil does. Now we could zoom out and go, what are the devil's works? Well, well, if he is sin, the embodiment of sin and lawlessness, right? If it is his nature to be contrary to God's will, well, then it's everything that stands against God and his will and his truth. That would include atheism. That would include ignorance. That would include unbelief, indifference, doubting, idolatry, blasphemy, pride, deceit. The list goes on and on and on. Everything, hypocrisy, hate, and a hundred other sins, everything that stands against God's will, everything that stands to disregard God's will. I know the Bible said that, but you know what? I think that's wrong. I'm gonna live this way. Disregarding God's will and his word, the lawlessness, the sin that that is, that is all the works of Satan. And then incidentally, his works also include accusing us before the Father. Jesus did away with that. Thank God for that one. His works include slandering us to the Father. Thank God Jesus did away with that. And we will all one day fully and completely stand before God and all the accusations and all the works of the devil will be completely eradicated and he says by what? The son of God. The son of God was revealed. This is the first time John has used this phrase in this letter. Son of God, it it emphasizes the deity of Jesus. It emphasizes that he is God and has the power to do what only God can do. So verse nine, John goes on to say, everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. Again, it all comes down to the grammatical rendering of the verbs, right? Does not sin means does not keep on sinning. Nor able to sin, right? That's someone, that's one that people stumble over. 
wait, I'm supposed to be saved, and when I'm saved, I'm not able to sin anymore? <laughs> I must not be saved, right? But what he means there when he says not able to sin is cannot go on in habitual sin. Why? Because they've been born of God and have his nature. And what's interesting is the word born there, the verb is in the, uh, the, the perfect tense. In the Greek language, a perfect tense means that it's stressing something that is complete and final and forever. The one who has been born of him, the one who has been born of him cannot go on in habitual sin cannot go on living contrary to the will of God and be like, I'm not doing anything wrong, I'm fine. You, you, you cannot. You understand the ramification of that? God himself dwells within the believer. The Bible tells us that. God lives within me. When God didn't live within me and I did something that I now know is contrary to the will of God, I never thought twice about, oh, that was wrong, that was bad, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have thought that, shouldn't have gone there. Never crossed my mind after I got saved, doing the same exact thing that I had done previously without a thought in my mind of how wrong it was, suddenly I was like, oh my gosh, this feels terrible. I can't do this. This is, oh, what is this? And as you grow and mature, you start to go, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. Thanks, God, for that. Why the difference? Because your nature is different. Everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning habitually, nor can they habitually lifestyle go on in sin without any regard to any, this, I don't want to do this, I shouldn't be doing you can't do that and call yourself a Christian. You can stumble and fall and then go, <laughs> why does this feel so wrong? God, I'm so sorry, I wanna honor you. You, you. you can have that situation and go, I know I know the Lord. God granted us a new birth. He gave it to us through our faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. The nature, the likeness of, of God has been given to us by faith, and, and it's done. It's final. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, truly, genuinely, you've, 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 you've come to him and you've received that new nature, you're different, and you know you're different, and it's final. Our spirit has been made alive, the Bible says. God himself dwells within us, and therefore we cannot continue habitual sin and not care and not feel anything about it. I'm thankful for that. Thank God. Right? If God left me to my own devices, game over. Game over. It's like God said, hey, here's a chasm between me and you. You need to get to the other side to be saved. Okay. How am I going to do it? He's like, you can't. Here, I'm going to build a bridge. Okay, you built the bridge. All I got to do is walk across it. Nah, I'm going to come over to the other side of the bridge. I'm going to pick you up in my arms, and I'm going to walk you over the bridge. Hallelujah, God loves me that much. Hallelujah, God loves you that much. Verse 9. Oh, sorry, I did verse 9 already. Yeah, we're moving on past that. All right. Uh, but again, Christians may stumble. They may occasionally mess up. They may even willfully choose disobedience at times, right? Chapter 1 dealt with that. 
But when that happens, we will be convicted. When that happens, we will immediately know we've done something wrong. There'll be that guilt. And, and, and in that guilt and in that, all that conviction, we're prompted to confess, right? And that's what chapter one talked about. Look, you, you mess up, confess. God, I'm so sorry. I, I, I did this and I, it was wrong. And please forgive me. Done. Once we are his children, we are his children forever granted this divine new nature. And so genuinely saved Christians, they, they, they don't want to continue in habitual sin. It'll cross our mind for sure. But, but, but we're immediately challenged with, no, no, I want to obey God, right? Because that nature within us stirs us up to do that. That is the practice. That is the habit uh, of our lives. That is the defining character of who we are as believers. Now, some take this concept, you know, when you talk about like you're saved and you're eternally secure and it's done, right? Some take that concept and worry, you know, well, if you're going to teach people that, you know, once you're genuinely saved, you're saved, you know, it's going to become a license for Christians to sin without restraint. Isn't that what the Gnostics were doing? No. Some get worried, you know, if I can't lose my salvation, then who cares if I do whatever I want to do? I'm saved regardless. Well, the reality is, is when we're regenerated, when we're born again, we are given a new nature, and even with that nature, we indeed can do whatever we want to do. We still have a free will. It's just that when you're given a new nature, your wanter is different. Your wanter is different. You want different things. You want to pursue different things. You want to be a different person. Our new nature is what causes us not want, to not want to do the things we used to do habitually without regard to God's will because we can't not think of God's will anymore because we've been given that new nature. This is all of what John's getting at here. And so he closes this off with verse 10. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. You guys know what the word obvious means, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean I'm not sure. It doesn't mean, maybe, maybe not. Obvious means obvious. It means it's clear. Our world today is just violently against definitions of things. Right? Don't you dare say that there's two genders. No, there's an infinite number because you just make it up as you go. Don't you dare say this is what marriage is. Don't you dare say this is what morality is. Don't, don't, no, there, there is no cut and dry. God here in John's letter is like, this is how you know God's children and the devil's children. This is how it becomes obvious who they are. Look at the habit of their life. Look at the lifestyle of their life. Do they even want to obey God? Do they even want to pursue love? Do they even want to know the truth? You ever talk to somebody that's like, oh, I'm a believer, and you look how they live, and you're like, oh, well, it's, it's pretty sketch, right? And then you'll, you'll sit down with them with the word. No, I don't want to hear it. Like, Wait, you don't even want to be challenged with God's word about what you're doing? No, no, don't, stop preaching at me. I don't think anybody's preached at you at this point. That's the problem. <laughs> You know, and, and I don't, uh, there's, there's no desire. But I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. 
I'm afraid you might not be, and please let me share with you the truth of God's word. Because it's, it, 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 it's life and death. So verse 10, he says, this is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. Again, that word there, does. Same word, right? same verb we've been talking about through this whole section, habitual, continuing, keep on, known for, characterized by. Everybody is a member of one of two families. Either a member of God's family or a member of the devil's family. The distinguishing mark, the defining characteristic between the two is what one practices. What is the habit of your life? What is the norm? What is the rule? What is the, the, the very thing that defines you? Is it righteousness, a pursuit of righteousness, or is it lawlessness and a disregard for God's will? Which one is it? The habit, the practice of our living will make it obvious whose child you are. One who does not practice righteousness, he says right here, is not of God. The one who does not have a habit, a lifestyle of pursuing and desiring to do righteousness, to live righteously, to follow God's will, the one who doesn't have that is not of God. God is not their spiritual father. They are not his spiritual child. When someone's overall lifestyle is devoid of any thought or desire of obeying God or honoring him, John is saying they can't be God's child. Not because God doesn't want them. Not because God doesn't desire them to be. But because they've chosen to disregard him. Effectively, God and Satan are the head of two families. Like I said, you're a child of one or a child of the other. There's no neutral ground. There's no fence to sit on. There's no middle point. Every single person who has not been born into the family of God, according to God's word, is currently a member of the family of Satan. Now, if you haven't repented of your sin, you haven't believed on Jesus Christ as your savior, you haven't received that new nature that comes with regeneration, you're still in the family of Satan. If your heart hasn't been changed, John is laying out a very serious, but I believe heartfelt and caring and, and full of love concern here. It doesn't matter what words come out of your mouth if your heart hasn't been changed. Right, Romans chapter 10 verse nine says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Claiming Jesus simply as fire insurance policy does nothing. You know, just having a cross in your house next to every other holy symbol of every other religion doesn't mean you might get it right. A life lived after the nature of Satan can still carry a Bible, as I said, can still come to church can even sing songs. But if you don't know him as your father, if you have not been born again, if you don't have a nature that desires to pursue after God in righteousness, a nature that wants to honor God with their life through obedience of his word and through, through adherence to, to what he desires for our life, you're in danger. And that's what I want to tell you today. You're in danger. If, if, the Holy Spirit has revealed to you today that you 
might be a counterfeit Christian, if God is revealing that to you today, repent of that today. Just repent of it. God, I've, I've, I've claimed Jesus and I've kind of run through the motions, but I know my heart's not changed. I know my nature's not different. And if God is revealing that to you right now, you need to say, God, I, I am sorry. I repent of that, that, that counterfeit lifestyle. I want to receive you for real. I want to receive you legitimately. I want to receive that new nature that we've been talking about. I want to be truly changed and forgiven. And God will do that. You surrender your life to him by confessing with your mouth and believing with your heart that he is the Christ, that he is the Savior, that you've broken his law, that you're guilty of the judgment, that you deserve the judgment, but that you desperately desire salvation. So in a moment, we're gonna pray and I'm gonna give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. And if God has been speaking to you, don't pass this moment up. Scripture is very clear that tomorrow is promised nobody. You have one opportunity to get right with God and it's this life. And again, if God has revealed to you, this isn't for you to look across the row and go, that guy needs it. Nope, that's not, that's not what this moment is. If God has spoken to your own heart, about your lack of him in your own heart. And you wanna receive him now. This is the moment to do that, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you God that even when your word deals with, 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 with difficult subjects like this, Lord, that, that, that we can lean on it and depend on it and trust in it because it is faithful, Lord. God, we live in a world today that, that, that wants to aggressively outlaw the very concept of defining morality. And yet, word, you, Lord, you've defined it in your word. You've defined what it looks like to have been changed by the love of God what it looks like when a life has been regenerated, when a spirit has been born again, when someone has been truly adopted into their family, Lord, because they have a new nature. And so, Lord, as we're praying, there may be people in this room or watching online that, that you've spoken to this morning and they've realized that they may have claimed the name of Jesus, they may have carried around a Bible, they may have even gone to church, and obviously they're here today. But Lord, you've revealed in their heart of hearts, God, that they don't know you. Because Lord, they don't have a desire to obey you. They disregard your, your will, your, your, your standards for how we should live our lives, God. They just completely disregard that, Lord. That as you are speaking to them now, Lord, you want them to confess that, to come to you. And to not just confess with their mouth, but to really truly believe in their heart that you died for them, that you rose again, that you are God Almighty. And so while we're praying, heads bowed and eyes closed in the room, please. If you're here in this room right now and God has spoken to you and you know you need him, you need to come to him for real, I just want you to raise your hand where you're seated so I can see it and let me pray with you. If you are, God bless you in the back. God bless you in the back as well. Anybody else, God bless you on the side. Anybody else in this room, God is speaking to you right now. 
God is calling you to him for real. Just raise your hand. Let me pray with you. I see you in the back as well, brother. Anybody else? If you're online and God is speaking to you, um, I just want you to just say in the chat there that I want to receive Jesus. I can't see you, obviously, but let us know in the chat. Anybody else before we pray? God is speaking to you to receive him, to be genuinely saved today, forgiven today, to truly be his child of God today. All right, those of you that raise your hand, I just want you to pray with me and the rest of us just join us in prayer. Um, say, Father God, I want to be your child today. I may have been living a counterfeit Christianity. Lord, I want to know for sure today that I am truly saved, truly forgiven, genuinely a child of God. Lord, I confess with my mouth, but I also believe in my heart today. I believe you are true. I believe you are holy. I believe you are righteous. I believe you are God. And I believe you died for me on the cross. Come into my life. Grant me the new nature that is your very likeness. Give me a heart that desires to live for you that desires to obey you, that desires to glorify you. Thank you for loving me so much that you would do this for me. Help me to live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Enable me to do what I've never been able to do before and say no to sin and yes to righteousness. I love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, God bless you guys. Welcome to the family of God, for real this time, <laughs> you know? Um, if you prayed that prayer today, you know, we wanna help you start this real relationship. And, and, and like I said, you may have a Bible and all that. Great, awesome, keep reading it, right? But I guarantee you that if your soul has been saved today, your nature has been changed, you're gonna read it now and it's gonna have a whole new perspective for you because the Holy Spirit dwells within you and he's gonna reveal things to you that you've never noticed before. But if you don't have a Bible or you don't have anything, please come forward. We have a new believers pack we would love to give you to kind of just help you on this step, this relationship you've started with your father, your creator. If you're online and you receive Jesus today, please let us know in the chat. Our moderators will get your information, um, and we'll mail you our new believers pack. We'll get you a Bible if you don't have one. Don't put your address in the chat, please. Just let, let us know you, you, you've received Christ. You want to receive that. Our moderators will get your information, and we will contact you privately for that. But guys, um, you know, we live in a world that is getting more and more convoluted and more and more blurry when it comes to spiritual truths, and as God's children, we are called to be the light on the hill, right? We're called to be that, that city up there that are just shining truth to the world, and it's getting more and more difficult to do that without opposition, but we know the opposition's coming. We know people are going to stand against truth. We know people are going to continue to hate those who would dare proclaim 
moral standards, moral righteousness. Um, but we're not saved because we're good people. We're saved because God loved us. And that's the message we want people to know who are consumed by darkness. And so I pray God would just fill you guys with his spirit. I pray that as you go out and use tracks or whatever, and join our evangelism team or just do it individually, that you would have those opportunities to share the truth with people who don't know him. And if there's somebody that you're not sure about, to be able to have the opportunity to sit with them, to show them truth, that they may come to an understanding that if they are living as a counterfeit Christian, that they would truly, genuinely come to know him as their father. Father. Amen. God bless you guys.